0: So welcome to Christmas. Um, I know that some of you, um, would like for me to have started last week. You were not happy coming in at the beginning of December. Um, and there not being a Christmas stage up here. Um, you know, that is, that is what they, that is what it is, but we made it to it this week. Um, Christmas really is, for the most part, a a great time of year. Um, there's so many great things that happen and go on. Um, there's, there's decorations that are out. Um, I set a personal record this year on how early I got the decorations up outside our house. Um, <clears throat> and uh, hmm, the inside, not so much, but we're still working on that, but there's, there's that, there's, there's lights, there's parties, there's gifts, there's, uh, there's music. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm still waiting for the good parts. What are you talking about? Um, there's food, lots of food, always lots of food. Um, there's parades, weather permitting. Um, we didn't get it last night, but we'll get it later. There's just so many great things. One of of the things that's been really good for me this year, um, is that, this is my my son Fredalik. This is uh, he's been with us for a couple of years now, and the first Christmas, too, he was just kind of like, "What is happening?" Um, we we do Christmas a little different than they do Christmas in Ethiopia, um, and so catching up and like just getting a grasp on what it was, it was it was really fun. But but this year he's got it. Right. So he's been through it enough that he's he's starting to he like he knows what's coming next. He's kind of anticipating it. Um, You know, he was heavy on us for getting uh, getting uh, the candy into the advent calendar. And um, he knew he knew what was missing. But probably the best thing this year is that he has heard the Christmas songs all enough that he can now start to sing along with them. And so it has been A pleasure. Kate and I'll shoot smiles across the houses. He'll be in cleaning his room, and we can hear him. He's got his little music going on in there, and we can hear him singing along with it. Um, He kind of knows the song, doesn't really know the words, and so sometimes he'll make up some of his own, which is always an uh, (laughs) an enjoyable thing. Um, But there's just so many things that can bring smiles and good times during Christmas. Um, And there then there are things that that don't. one of the difficult things about Christmas, and please don't give me an audible amen, but one of the difficult things about Christmas can be family. <laughs> okay. I was talking to myself this morning, so luckily I got, I've gathered that I'm going to be talking to some of you as well. Um, family can be tough, because for a majority of people, family is complicated. Um, it's... It, it, If family is simple and uncomplicated for you, um, I would suggest that during this season, um, you consider yourself lucky um, and and be aware that it's not like that for everybody. Um, Family's tricky and and the complications can be on so many levels. And the thing about Christmas and the Christmas season is that for the rest of the year, you can kind of avoid some of these things, and you can kind of put it off and not pay attention to it and avoid certain people and not get into certain um, situations. But come Christmas, you kind of can't avoid it. It, it, it. For a lot of people, it like forces you into facing it and dealing with some of that difficulty. And for many people, I mean, just the schedule alone of Christmas when it comes to family can be nightmares, You know, perhaps some of you come from um, a, a, a broken home where there's been divorces. Maybe both of you. And you got to deal with that whole, all that's going on. And, you know, that makes the holidays difficult. Who are we going to see? When are we going to see them? Whose year turn is it? Like, how long are we spending? Like, where's actual Christmas morning? Is everybody getting the same equal amount of time? You know, should they all just come to us? But, oh, dear Lord, please not at the same time. That would be a disaster. Um, so how do we work that out? Not hurt any feelings. Like, oh, man, my ah, my dad's got a new girlfriend. we have to get her approved? President, How does that work? What's her name again? I don't know. You know, it can be, it can just like, family can just get messy, 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 bless their hearts as I've learned to say here in the South. It can get bad and, and maybe, it isn't, maybe it isn't that. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's just some people in your family, you'd rather really do anything in the world, literally anything than spend time with them. And with that person, and maybe, maybe, maybe it isn't, maybe it isn't really the most wonderful time of the year. Once we start recognizing some things that exist, some dynamics that we've we've put off, and Christmas has forced our hand. Perhaps, maybe you've had to deal with this kind of dynamic for years and years, and maybe you've gotten pretty good at it. But this is what this is what is kind of amazing about Christmas. Christmas, just by the nature of the season that surrounds it, Christmas magnifies everything. It takes all of the things, good and bad, and it kind of makes them bigger. And it focuses, it makes you focus on things that maybe you haven't focused on before because time is, time is compressed. Like there's, you got, you only got so much time and, and as you look around and you're like, okay, well, I've only got so much time. And there's a season in this. You, you kind of come to the realization that, okay, there are some problems that I can't solve, right? There are some people that I just can't control no matter how hard I try. There are expectations out there that no matter what I do, I'm not gonna be able to meet these expectations. And the truth is for some of us, if we take a good hard look in the mirror, we may begin to realize that maybe we're the problem that we can't solve. And that maybe we're the ones that aren't controlled and we're the ones setting expectations that, that people can't meet. So Christmas, I still hold, is the most wonderful time of the year, but it's not because of what's happening around us. Uh, it's the most wonderful time of year because of what happened. And, and at Easter, we celebrate a singular in history, one time event within the resurrection. But at Christmas, we celebrate a whole season and we stretch it out where we look forward to an event that changed everything as far as God's interaction with mankind goes, where God sent his son into the world to be amongst us and to be the center of history. But more importantly for for all of us, for you, for me, for us, God sent his son not to be the center of history, but he sent his son to be the center of our life, to be the basis on which we build everything. And when Jesus becomes the center of our lives, it it gives us something stable. And even more beyond stable, as everything else around us can kind of seem chaotic and out of control and a little ridiculous at times, it gives us hope. Because it gives a sense of purpose, a sense of I don't need to fear, even though I can look around and there are a whole lot of things around me that I should be fearing. There's a a sense in which Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, but not because of who is with us, but because we're reminded of who is for us and the length that God went to to make connection with us. And the darker that things get and the more difficult That things get, and the more hopeless it seem things seem, and the more complicated they are, and the more exaggerated everything seems to be, and the louder everything seems to get. We can be reminded that God is with us. And that in and of itself makes all the difference in the world. Now we have four accounts of the life of Christ: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew and Mark and Luke, their accounts are all pretty similar. You could go through and you could read those three. And then somebody could ask you, well, which book was this? In? And you're like, I'm all, no, i read, I don't know. They're all, they're all fair, fairly similar. But John, you read through the gospel of John. John's really different in the way that he writes and what he's talking about. And John, unlike Matthew and Luke, John doesn't give us the birth announcement and the beginning of the story of Jesus. John gives us a different perspective, when John wrote his gospel, he, he, was, his was, he was an old man. His out of the four gospels. John's was probably the last one that was written. And when John wrote his gospel, he, he kind of looks back. And we don't know this for sure, but it's, it's as if he looks back and he's thinking about it. He might've been thinking like, I should write all this down because I don't have a whole lot of time left. He's probably verbally told the story just countless times. But he's probably thinking like, okay, I'm getting ready to be gone. I'm not going to be able to tell this anymore. People beyond me need to hear this story. And so I need to, to, to write it all down to make sure these stories continue and are passed on from generation to generation. And imagine, I mean, John, he, he was one... Imagine how people would ask you to talk about things when they found out that you were one of the people with Jesus. I mean, just having somebody be like, oh, I heard this story. Let me tell you a story about this guy. That's one thing. But if you're somewhere and somebody's like, oh, that's John. He was one of the 12. Then imagine how people are just asking questions I mean, just tons of questions. Okay, well, how did he handle this? And what was he like behind the scenes? And did that really happen? I heard about that. Was that true? And tell me about it. And this isn't tell. He probably couldn't hardly go anywhere without telling the story. And John is the person, and, and this is an amazing, amazing thing. I, I don't know how he even did this. He was the one that in his gospels, he reduced Jesus to a single word. He looked back over everything and said, okay, if I can just condense everything that Jesus was about and that Jesus did, if I could sum him up in one word and make it as simple as possible, it would be this, God is, what's the word, what's the word, what's the word? Love. Love, you hear people say all the time, God is love. John's the one that, John's the one that said that. He's the one that made that the single defining element of both God. And Jesus, and the thing that's so amazing about John saying that is because of what, up to that point when he wrote that, because of what he had seen and experienced. He's an old man and he did not have an easy life. He experienced things that you and I will never even come close to experience. And not only that we won't come close to experience, but that we can't even begin to imagine. He's lost friends. He's lost family members. In some way, he lost his entire culture and society. I mean, John was alive when Nero sent Vespasian into Galilee. And when he got into Galilee, he started to work south, just rolling up Jewish town after Jewish town and wiping them out, sending thousands and thousands of Jewish people into the slave market. John lived through that. He experienced that. He lived through when Vespasian finally left, but he left his son in charge. And the city of Jerusalem was under siege. A city that John, it wasn't just a, hey, things happened in this city. It was a city that for him personally, he experienced so much in that city. The defining moments of his life spent with the son of God were in that city. And he watched as the city was surrounded for seven months and the inhabitants of Jerusalem starved to death and plagues broke out. And he watched as the Roman army built a ditch and a wall around the city in an attempt to get into that city. And at the end of that, the city finally fell and the temple, which was the centerpiece of Jewish culture, was burned to the ground. And in that whole event, a million Jews were slaughtered. Another 200,000 were taken as slaves. And at the time that John wrote these words, his friends, Paul and Peter, had been executed by Nero because they were spreading the story. And through all of that bloodshed and through all of that loss and through all of that chaos that we can't even begin to imagine living through, John never lost faith in the person of Jesus. In fact, at the end of his gospel, and if you go through John's gospel, he's got, he, he, he only lists seven miracles or signs that Jesus did when he gets to the end, here's what he writes. He writes, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. He says, in other words, I'm only giving you a taste, just a sample, just a little bit so that you know who he was. And then he says this, he says, but these are written that you may believe. And you may believe. In other words, the reason I'm writing this is not only am I hoping that you read it, Not only am I hoping that these stories get passed down from generation to generation, but I hope that because of this, you believe in the person of Jesus. That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. And that by believing you may have life. He's not talking about physical life. Everybody reading or hearing this story had physical life. All of us have physical life as we're hearing this. No, he was talking about a different kind of life. That by believing you may have life in his name, which is incredible because in spite of everything that John experienced, in spite of all the loss of everybody who was important to him, John still believed that Jesus was the source of a type of life that went far beyond our physical life. So when he begins his gospel, he doesn't begin with the birth narrative. He, he, he's, and this is fascinating because, because when Jesus is crucified, John is asked by Jesus. Jesus looks at him and says, John, will you watch after my mother as if she was your mother? So how much time exactly did they spend together? We don't know, but we know that they spent a lot of time together. Because if you had been with Jesus and experienced all of that, and he looked at you and said, take care of my mom, you're going you're to take care of his mom. And you're going to spend time with her. And some scholars think that eventually John took Jesus' mother to Ephesus and took care of her there until she died. And I just can't imagine That John, having had this experience with Jesus and then having all this time with Mary as she grew old, did not spend time with her saying, Mary, tell me what it was like one more time. Mary, let me hear from you your version of what it was like to give birth to the son of God tell me, tell me, tell me, when you discovered that you were pregnant, what were the emotions? How did people respond? How did you make it through when the angel appeared to know that the son of God, like, and he heard this story. I guarantee he heard the birth narrative from the mouth of Mary on more than one occasion, possibly more than any other person to ever walk. The of the earth. Yet when John begins his gospel, he doesn't start with a star, he doesn't start with shepherds, he doesn't start with a manger, he doesn't start with Herod, He doesn't start with any of that. He begins not with the birth of Jesus, but he begins with the significance of the birth of Jesus. And just like it was dark days when John was writing his gospel. When anybody else looking around would be like, how could you be, how could you be so sure? Look around, everything is dark. And just as it was at that time, when, when Jesus was born, it was a dark time for the Jewish people. And when he sat down to write his gospel, before he got into the narrative and the details, he said, he said this, and this is so extremely powerful. Because listen, in a season of our life where things are complicated, in a season of our life where we think of like, oh no, it's the Christmas season. I've got to meet up with people I really don't want to meet up with. And the feeling that you have is not one of festivity and joy and light, a sense of weight and darkness (laughs) comes on you when you think about it. In the midst of all of that, we are reminded of who is coming who won't come, what we're gonna get, what we won't get, everything that's right, everything that's wrong. But John, he begins his gospel like this, chapter one. In him was life, not physical life. John had all these experiences and it gave him perspective. He'd seen people come, he'd seen people go. He'd watched unimaginable destruction. And as he's trying to find the words and summarize it all for us, he says, okay, when I think about Jesus, the best way I can say it is in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And this was such a huge statement because when Jesus showed up on the scene, when he showed up and they began to think, okay, maybe this person of Jesus, maybe he is the Messiah. Maybe, maybe, maybe he was going to be the one that the Jewish people had waited for and were looking for for so long. And that maybe he was gonna be you know, a regional or a for Israel or a fulfillment of the, of the Old Testament. As John sits back, back and he looks as an old man, he says, I realize now that Jesus did not simply come for the Jewish people. No, he came for all mankind. He brought an element of life for every one. And John was there when Jesus was raised from the dead. He was there and the disciples asked Jesus, okay, now that you've done this amazing thing, now that no one can deny who you are, are you going to restore Israel as a kingdom? Are you going to restore the glory? Is now the time that we're finally going to run out the Romans when we reestablish our independence and go back to the golden days? And John heard Jesus basically look at them and say, That's none of your business. Because you, you are going to go into every single nation and you are going to share with every single ethnic group that exists what you have heard me say. These words of life, and it's not life for the Jewish people. It's a life for all people. And when he said this, and this is the best part when we think about this idea of Christmas and God becoming a part of us and with us. As John starts out his gospel, we can't begin to imagine what he's been through and how bleak things are. And he literally, as he's writing, he says, okay, in spite of everybody who has died, in spite of everyone who has executed for being a part of spreading this message, in spite of everything that's been destroyed, in spite of the entire temple system, which was the center of our culture being taken away, never to return, by the way, it was done. And the fact that everything that I have grown to love being God, in spite of all of that, he says this, and this is amazing. The light shines in the darkness. And most people would look at him and be like, John, I'm not seeing much light. And he's like, oh, it's there. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness, as hard as the darkness has tried to snuff it out, overwhelm it, to seize it, imprison it, contain it. As hard as it's tried, the darkness has not over comment. Perhaps John might've been the last living apostle. And I like to imagine in my mind with a smile on his face, he wrote, in spite of everything that this world has tried to do, to eradicate the light that is life. The darkness has not overcome it. Caesar couldn't do it. Tiberius couldn't do it. Nero couldn't do it. The destruction of the temple couldn't do it. The death of Jesus himself couldn't do it. And this was John writing, who himself with his own eyes stared into the empty tomb and later ate with Jesus. This was John who was absolutely convinced without a doubt that no matter what we face, no matter what happens to us in life, no matter how deep the heartache that we feel from the things that go on, no matter how extreme the fear we have of our circumstances, no matter how deep the depression that we feel, there is a light that shines in the darkness. And there is no depth of darkness that can extinguish that light. And that is what we celebrate. During the Christmas season, God with us, the light of the world. So at Christmas, when, when we're confronted with the fact, perhaps like we are at no other time of the year, that there are problems that we cannot solve. That no matter how hard we try, we can't fix them no matter how many times we try to reach out and give another chance, they're just not gonna come around. Because we realize there are people that we cannot control and we can't get them to see things our way, no matter how rational we are, no matter how many times we tell our story and try to explain why we think the way that we think, no matter how many conversations are had, and that there are expectations that will never be met. We are reminded in all of that darkness that Jesus is life and he is light. And because of that, there's always hope. There's always a reason to believe. There's always a God that hears our prayers There's always a reason to wake up every single day and take the next step. Because what makes this the most wonderful time of the year is not what's happening around us, even though there's a lot happening around us. It's what happened when God sent his son to be with us. And with him came a light that was not and will not ever be put out. And guess what? The very nature of God, of that light, the very nature of God is in you. You were created in his image. As you've accepted Christ as your savior and have endeavored to follow him, that light is in you. You. And so this year, in the midst of the darkness that may be your circumstances or your family, the difficulties that you have in this Christmas season, you have an opportunity to be light. You have an opportunity to be Christmas. okay, that all sounded really good the way you set that up. But how? That's a great question. You can come back next week and find out. (laughs) Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, this is a difficult season for so many people. But yet this season represents... the most amazing gift that any of us were ever given. And Lord, it is so easy to allow circumstances and schedules and family and difficult relationships and so many other things to cause us to not just lose sight of you in this season, but to be overwhelmed with a sense of darkness. And Lord, I pray for anybody in this room that as Christmas comes closer and closer and the season ratchets up, that this is what they're staring down. And that as they think about some of these difficult relationships, Lord, that the anxiety just kind of creeps up and grabs a hold of them. Lord, I pray that you remind them, that you remind me that you are the light and you give life in the midst of the darkness. And that in the same way that you were light in the darkness, Father, that you are in us. And it's possible for us to face these situations and with everything that may come against us that the light not be put out. Lord, I thank you for this season. I thank you for everything it represents. I thank you for what you did for us and gave to us. Now, Lord, help us through it. We thank you for your mercy and for your grace. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out. Be with us next week as we continue on in be Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish